0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com
1: and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: This is the Wes and Walker Show. This is Wes. I mean, seriously, I this happened 20 seconds ago, and then Wes just decides in the distance to give us this kind of show cry to start off. It's Wes. Whoa!
2: Oh, let's go, baby! Let's get it going! Come
0: on! Walker. Out of nowhere. I mean, I looked like a pansy, to be honest with you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. City said, That scared me. <laughs> I said, That scared the he bleep out of me. Yeah. I he looked- said the same thing.
2: So, I hope your Monday's going well. I know everybody's not always excited to get up and get the week going on Monday. I know I get a case of the Mondays quite frequently.
0: Uh, Walker, do you get the Mondays often? Well, look, I've been in sports radio long enough to know that Mondays is the most content-filled days and they're the easiest shows to fill out. Yeah. The hardest part about it is trying to organize everything.
2: This is true, doing the research
0: and getting that stuff done. Radio's a little different. I think generally, though, Fiddy's always tried to spit the theory to me. I don't know why I said that. Am I mm-hmm. spit the theory? What am I doing here? Am I a rapper? What am I doing Yo, Spit hot fire. Yeah. I don't know why, but he always tries to tell me about the theory that Tuesday's the worst day. Yeah. I'm not really buying it. I yeah. think Monday is the worst day generally, but in sports radio, filling a show standpoint, that's always going to be easy. Yeah. I always think when you're a really busy person, I think that
2: Mondays always think, especially if you're you know, have the availability of either having the weekends off or a Sunday off, and then you know, like, when you get in that R&R and you're enjoying yourself, and you're like, man, I got to get right back to it tomorrow, yeah. man. So let us know out there on the text line, 704-570-9610. Do you get the Mondays? How often? All right, but you know what helps a Monday to be that much better when you wake up and know that your team or your school is playing in a monster game. So let's get to that and other topics. It's time for the Campus All right, so Walker uh, alluded to this. Not even alluded. He let you know blatantly what's going on as we went to break. But the Charlotte 49ers, folks, held North Texas to 32% shooting from the field, one of 17 from three, and got a 56-44 win over North Texas to claim sole possession of first place in the AAC playing in front of Niner Nation. They are 8-1 at Halton Arena, had a reported attendance of 4,514 fans inside. That's a new season high for them, so the word is starting to get out. The more they keep winning, if you win, they will come. But the 49ers have won five in a row. They never trailed in this game. North Texas did not make its first field goal until nearly five minutes into the game. Charlotte jumped out to a 15-2 run. They meant business. They stood on business. Walker, how excited are you for the Niners? uh, Look,
0: we are starting to get a little bit of a taste of Charlotte basketball and what it can become. Now, we actually did see a little bit of this in the Ron Sanchez era. If you'll remember, the season shortened by the pandemic, there was no conference tournament. And that was when they were in the fourth place spot when they were expected to finish like 10th something way down the standings. Yeah. But even so, it's not an exciting brand of basketball, and here you are having won five straight. It all started against FAU, and Wes, that's the constant thing you're worried about when you get a big old win against a ranked opponent. It's that the win was so emotional you're going to lay an egg the next time out. Well, they won by eight against Tulsa the next game. They beat San Antonio. They came back against Rice on the road, and now here they are just rolling through Texas. Get on out of here, man. Everything's bigger and sharp. Charlotte, That's San Antonio, right. Rice, North Texas, bye. We just did the Texas shuffle in the conference. I'll try to make that work. Listen. But I'm glad about Charlotte, man. It, what you see with what they're doing right now, now we're starting to get, to get excited. And 336 wrote this in, Wes. As a fellow 49er fan, as a fellow 49er who graduated in 2017, would Walker agree that Charlotte has arguably the worst sports environment in college sports? I'll tell you what. At the beginning of my college career, I didn't take... Yeah, I know, college career because of the whole Final Four appearance. Hmm. I think for me, it was fun. They were in a a really fun... They were in the A-10. That was a lot of fun watching them take on Xavier. They got the big win at home. But when you gave them a product worth cheering for... Halton Arena was fun, and I like that arena, Wes, and so this is now what you have to do. They're starting to win some games. They're starting to see an increase in attendance, and I hope that they can keep it rolling. Yeah, and Walker, I can attest to
2: that, man. I remember going to Halton Arena in their heyday when they were popping. I'm talking Joby Thomas and DeMarco Johnson and those guys, and it was lit in there as good
0: as any environment you could find well and people will go back to the conference usa days and those were the amazing days i I totally get that when everyone remembers playing cincinnati for sure but even when you just are winning in an a10 or an american conference if you win enough and you're just competing then people will show out Like, it doesn't have to be Cincinnati days, right? Like, just win enough, and that wouldn't happen in the last couple of years, and people really wanted Ron Sanchez gone, and it happened, but it was on his own accord. He leaves late, so we didn't really know. All right, here's interim coach Aaron Fern. We'll see what he can do, but he's making a real case to be the permanent coach, especially with what he's doing with the talent already on the roster.
2: All right, and so we talked about coming into the weekend how the ACC didn't have the greatest of matchups, Uh, Games that you kind of looked at and thought that the favorites were going to dominate a chalk type of weekend in the ACC. But no, 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 that is not what happened this weekend. And I think the biggest story to come out of there is Duke losing to their third unranked opponent of the season. Pitt came in there and got the job done, handed Duke their first ACC home loss in the last two seasons. Jared McCain was 3 of 8 from 3. He had his seventh career game with at least three three-pointers in a matchup. They're now 6-1 when he reaches that. Kyle Filipowski had 19 points on the day, but it did not happen. For Pitt, it marked their first win over an AP top 10 opponent since defeating number eight Notre Dame back in 2015. Pitt had the lead for 35 minutes and 22 seconds compared to two minutes and 19 seconds for the Blue Devil. And we know this picture that could go down in ACC history of Blake Henson, or, or as the kids at Pitt call him, Blake Henson. (laughs) Getting up on the scores table, kids are flipping him the bird. They're calling him everything under the sun except what his mama named him. But it didn't matter. He had 24 points, 8 of 10 from the field, 7 of 7 from three-point territory. Walker, what do you make of this loss for the Blue
0: Devils? Well, I I think – The thing about Duke losing this game is, yeah, they didn't have Mitchell, and they did not have Jeremy Roach, and those are two big losses, so I'm not going to overreact about what their ceiling can be, but you would like to see them beat an 11 and, or excuse me, a 10 and 7 team on your home court with the other talent that you have. Like, Wes, this is still a game that you have to take care of. Yes. You still have Kyle Filipowski, you still have Proctor, you still have McCain, and those guys, I mean, for the most part did their job. Not a great shooting night for Tyrese Proctor, but even Foster came in and was efficient enough scoring 16 points and actually getting to the foul line. They didn't have any bench help really except for Young who comes in, but he plays 26 minutes, and I don't think you really want him playing that many. Yeah, they still should have found a way to win this game, and Henson just went off offensively. I think I'm not going to overreact as far as what they can be down the stretch of the season but it's still a loss that has to get them back on track like they got to get right after this one because i didn't think that this was going to be a close one really even with those guys being out and yeah pittsburgh ends up putting their feet all over the couch at cameron indoor stadium
2: well the thing to me that's getting exposed as well is that yeah roach didn't play and mitchell did not play and we know that they're key factors on this team but you know tyrese proctor to me he's a he's a good player but he doesn't strike me as a difference maker. And this is the type of game when you don't have a Jeremy Roach, that this is the type of game where he should have 20 to 25 points and six or seven dimes. But he goes 11 points, three of 10 from the field, one assist in 37 minutes. That's unacceptable if you're Tyrese Proctor. That's unacceptable if you're looked at as an NBA lottery pick. So that to me is the thing about Duke where I'm unsure about this team. I know that they were able to rally the troops and have a nice run at the end of last season, but I'm just not sure that this team, when it gets down to playing the top dynamic squads out there in the country, that, you know, I would like to see more from Proctor uh, and, and some of those other guys, but especially him. And to me, that that's the telling thing about Duke and, and in this matchup.
0: Well, and real quickly, I think I put so much stock into what he did against Tennessee last year. Yeah. Where well, remember Tennessee was just playing a football game against Duke. Nobody had an answer for the Volunteers, except for Tyrese Proctor, who got to his spots in the mid-range and ended up with 16 points and six dimes against Tennessee and their defense when nobody else is doing anything for you. a Great stat line. And I fell in love. I was like, this guy is going to take a step up. And I think you're right. Offensively, it hasn't really been the case. You're still sharing the basketball a lot. One game with uh, with Roach and Mitchell out, maybe you just don't have enough of a rhythm. I wonder if you could see him blossom into that guy if you had like a 5-10 game rhythm. But you're not going to get that. And if you're Duke, you don't want that. You want to be at full health. And so you're right. I certainly expected a bigger jump offensively from him and we haven't gotten it.
2: and also to flip I mean flips got to give you more than 19 and five boys in a game like this I know he's got Federico Federico down there battling with the man but you gotta I mean if you're supposed to be ACC player of the year like people are saying as far as preseason goes you got to be in that 25 and 10 25 13 I mean he gets a lot of double doubles but this was the night you know I'll chalk it up to an off night uh for him Fitty you got any quick thoughts on what happened with Pitt and Duke
1: yeah, for all of the members of Duke Nation, welcome to the Pitt Hate Club because you, you, you lose at home and you see what that program is truly about. They cannot win. They cannot win with class. Whenever they be a top-tier <laughs> ACC program, they're going to let you hear about it. For some ungodly reason, they cannot win and keep their mouth shut. Also, and maybe y'all disagree, has Cameron become less invincible to go into and win The last couple of years because and look i know duke was down mitchell and they were down jeremy roach but five ten years ago you still couldn't go in that building and win the building would overwhelm you the building would you know in essence make up for those two guys not being on the court that doesn't seem to be the case anymore and maybe that was always going to be the case once coach k left and i know that henson went and you know got into the cameron craze and they gave him all the, the middle fingers in the world but I just don't feel like it's as daunting a task to go in that building and compete when Duke's at full strength, let alone full, uh, less than full strength.
2: Well, you know, like I said, they've only won, lost one game in the last two seasons. I think Cameron still uh, has it luster. But we'll see. I mean, if they keep losing home games, then, yeah, Fitty may, your point may be proven. But going over to your Tar Heels, they've won six consecutive ACC games by double digits for the first time since doing that in 10 consecutive games in 1992-93. They haven't allowed an ACC team to score more than 70 points this season. Boston College was feisty. Fiddy, you did say that this was going to be a tough one to get out of there, but Carolina uh, turned it on late and got the (laughs) victory held. Boston College to 34% shooting and 17% shooting from three. Fiddy, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts on the Tar Heels' performance?
1: You know, Wes, first thing I want to do is thank you for acknowledging that I was right because I got a lot of people in my own fan base wanting to know why I thought it was going to be a a tough task to go to Boston College and win. Guys, I've been around the block. I've watched this conference night in, night out for over 15 years. <laughs> yeah. and, as, and as a 27-year-old, I'm going to sit here and say I'm an ACC old head. I know how hard it is to go up there and win when mm. that place is sold out. Earl Grant's a good coach. Quentin Post is the best player oh. in college basketball wow. that nobody knows about. So it was going to be tough. Yeah. And championship teams still go on the road. And don't get a whistle to go their way for 40 minutes. And they still find a way to win by double digits. And that's what Carolina did. Big second half from Armando Baycott. Mm. Timely scoring from R.J. Davis. And Carolina's 7-0, man, for the 12th time in ACC play in program history. And hopefully tonight by about nine oh they'll be 8-0. All right. Well,
2: Walker, I'm going to let you rot
1: on this one because I'm I su-
2: I su- No, you sure- had too many comments. This no, how to am time. You I had- sure remember. I know. When I know the Demon Deacons were playing at Boston College. Was it soda? And out? I got tattoos. I'm a bit tattooed. I got texts <laughs> about, all oh, you guys are struggling with Boston College, and I can't believe how you guys are playing. You're supposed to be a oh, contender. No, you, went the match- you went to texting them yeah, about that? Yeah, you're supposed to be a contender, and you're struggling at Boston College. Now when the Tar Heels come to play, which a lot of the crowd was pro-North Carolina. I saw it. A lot of the crowd was pro-Tar Heels. Now it's this hard place. It's Cameron 2.0. West, are you this, kidding this, this me?
0: Is, this is a 27-year-old Woo! ACC old hat, man. He's been around the yeah, block. Yeah, you know
2: I tried what? to tell him. I said, when they went to Florida Showing State, road team, I, said, I said, ACC road games are hard to win, not to fit. I, I, I can't believe you lost that game. Now, everywhere Carolina goes and plays on the road, it is just the zoo.
0: I mean, my God, this guy knows no bounds, I knew Walker. What was going to as, as soon as he wanted God. to take? He wanted to take a victory lap <laughs> over calling that
1: it was going to be a close game yes. late into the second, which as but like you did. Okay, but but Walker, as someone that hosts a podcast for one of your favorite teams in the Hornets. Doesn't it hurt when your own fan base comes after you? I had to deal with that. When I talked about Boston College and I was pushing all my content about the I had people, you're just making excuses for them. You're part of the problem. That's why this program hasn't achieved what is. I'm not an excuse maker, but I know what it is. And I knew it was going to be tough there, and, and I knew it was going to be tough to go on the road there and win because, A, they're a quality team. And Woo. as you remember... In the mid-2000s, man, when they were good, that arena gets behind them. It's a small gym. It's not the easiest place to go on the road and play. That's all I said. And I said, don't be surprised if the game is still in balance at the end of four timeout. And it was, I was right. Y'all were not wrong. And (laughs) I'm done.
0: Uh. That's a very personal battle that you have with your own kind right now. And I apologize that you feel the need to take the victory lap. I do want to take the little time that we have left in this segment to set up the stage for tonight with Duke losing. With NC State losing, North Carolina is taking on a very good Wake Forest team that is also atop the standings, fourth right now at 5-2. and two. Wake Forest moves to 5-3. and three, Carolina moves to 8-0 and zero, with NC State still second at 5-2. and two. North Carolina, not a stranglehold, but pretty firm grasp. Yeah, they won the, this one tonight. A, yeah, yeah, you you beat Wake Forest, who is a good basketball team, and watching the Blue Devils lose the way they did, it, you're, there's really not a question. It, the, the only argument that I think you could really have is, hey, watch Duke at full strength at the end of the season, yeah. and we'll see what they can do in the NCAA tournament. I get that argument, but. There's a clear best team in the ACC. I think even that's the case, even if they do lose to Wake, and we'll have to see about the context, but there's no debating it if they beat Wake tonight.
2: Yeah, and before we get out of here, Wake did beat Louisville 90-65, to so they hammered. Uh, Louisville this weekend and Clemson got a big win uh, at Florida State so uh, Clemson you know they're still down there fighting so we'll see uh, what they can bring to the table as the season marches on but either way tonight's game we're going to get into it even more later with Les Johns but coming up we got Joe Goodberry of Bengals on the brain to talk about Callahan and the coaching search right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
0: And Walker back at it, Sports Radio 92 7 WFNZ, going over the list of Panthers head coach candidates. We got a lot to get through, and one guy, Brian Callahan of the Cincinnati Bengals, is interviewing again Wes. Really, a guy that kind of sneaked in here a little bit late in the process. Mm-hmm. We all knew it was going to be Bobby slowick we knew it was going to be a couple of other guys in the mix. And then Dan Graziano predicts that Callahan would be the head coach. And then we started talking about him a lot more. Here he is with a second interview and to talk more about Brian Callahan as a potential head coaching candidate for the Carolina Panthers. I brought on Joe Goodberry of bangles on I think the guy that you go to, if you want bangles coverage, he's fantastic. Go follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Also check him out on YouTube too. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, Joe. He joins us via the Body Works Plus guest hotline. So, Joe, I I saw you respond to Josh Norris talking about Brian Callahan, his role within the offense. Repurpose it here. Just what kind of role does he have within this offense, and what is he responsible for?
3: Yeah, so everyone, when you're interviewing an offense coordinator, wants to see does he call plays, right? Is that something we can take with us? And it's always the first question I get asked, because Catlin's getting interviews uh, throughout the league. And he does not call the plays in Cincinnati. Zach Taylor does as the head coach, but his role is designing, orchestrating, building the offense and the game plan uh, from a week-to-week basis, from installs in camp and mini-camps throughout the summer. Uh, it is of the major adjustments, the big changes they have made throughout seasons, in-game, working directly with Joe Burrow and the quarterbacks, and trying to make sure everyone within the offensive system is on the same page because the Bengals do it a little bit differently. While Zach Taylor calls the plays, they have Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator. They have Dan Pitcher, who's the quarterback's coach, work on third-down offense, third-down packages, third-down situations, wide receiver coach Troy Walters, is the red zone guy uh, working on packages and new schemes throughout the year and maybe plays that work in game. And then you have the offensive line coach, Frank Pollock, who's also the run game coordinator who is working on the run, run game run scheme and how they want to attack the next opponent. So it's a big group effort, and Callahan oversees all of that and gets them all on the same page and gets the game plan ready week to week. And everyone does have a say in play calling on game day. They're all in Zach Taylor's ear, giving them information, Giving them suggestions, giving them things they've talked about throughout the week to keep them on track. So I think that managerial aspect is what is intriguing teams
0: are on the league well and Joe how different was that offense with Jake Browning at quarterback after Joe Burrow like it seemed different to us and I think that's what put him more on the map maybe with Panthers fans that's the point they keep going to the fact that you guys were winning the fact that Jake Browning was throwing for over 300 yards and it did look so different what did you notice in that transition from Joe Burrow to Jake Browning at QB
3: yeah and this is something the Bengals have done under Callahan and Taylor throughout their four years now they have if if they've needed to morph and change they can do it on a dime and they have found success and sometimes it takes a couple of weeks but they will drop everything they've planned and switch it in game or throughout the season and they were hit with that this year again when Joe Burrow first had a calf injury in the in the summer as really we had to change the game plan for the first few weeks until he got healthy and then when he goes down for the year halfway through the year and they're inserting Jake Browning, who was a former undrafted quarterback. He had a lot of numbers at Washington, but to be honest, what we've all seen on tape and and in-game and preseasons was not very – I wasn't very high on his prospects, and I don't think anyone really was in Cincinnati, and I don't think anyone was really on the team as much as they say it. Speaking with people going into that was like, yeah, let's see what can happen. First week was just dropping Tate Browning into a Joe Burrow offense against Pittsburgh Steelers. It did not work out. Tate Bengals scored 10 points that week. Browning did not look very good. And they said, okay, it's not going to work. We gave you the opportunity to be Joe Burrow. You're not Joe Burrow. Let's scrap it and go completely different. And they did. And that is a sign of good coach. And what they did differently was, okay, let's get you under center more. We're going to run the ball a little bit more, be more varying in our run scheme. We're going to do more play actions. Give you easier one-two reads, half-field reads. Uh, give you easier throws with screens, not just to the receivers, but to the running backs. The Bengals were a terrible screen team up until Jake Browning became the starting quarterback, and then they're hitting explosive screens at a high rate. And that's something that's like, okay, I didn't think they could do. I didn't think it was in their repertoire. I didn't think it was in their in the, you know in their pocket to pull out. And they found a way to become a highly efficient screen team. And that's, again, a mark of what they've been able to do while Callahan's been there. And I think it definitely got not just Callahan, but Dan Pitcher on the map for coaching uh, interviews around the league. Because you're like, hey, if I can get solid production from a guy who nobody believed was actually good at quarterback, what can you do with a guy that's really good or a top pick like Bryce Young? And I think that's where the interest is.
2: Joe Goodberry joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him at Joe Goodberry from Bangles on the Brain. And, Joe, when you talked about his quarterback success and what he did, do you feel like that that is the best indicator that he can get the most out of Bryce Young here?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think any time a, a team's looking for a new uh, head coach or even an offensive coordinator, you're looking – can I get the best out of the quarterback? Can I maximize our quarterback here or find the guy that's going to be next? Now the Panthers obviously have drafted their guy and, you know, you're going to have to get the best out of him no matter what for the next three years, at least. Uh, So, yeah, I think the idea here is, okay, let's salvage this project. Let's get the best out of him. And Callahan has worked with Peyton Manning. He's worked with Joe Burrow. It's like, that's, you would like to impart some of what he's learned with those, you know, number one picks and, and also impart that onto and see what you can squeeze out of Bryce Young. But also, I think because Callahan sees it through a quarterback lens, always working with quarterbacks, uh, also, I think one little tidbit is also they had in that draft where they that they took Burrow number one. Their number two quarterback was Justin Herbert that year. It wasn't Tua. Like, they see quarterback very clearly. Uh, I think also part of it is in Cincinnati that's also different is the coaches, because Bengals have the smallest scouting staff in the league, they use their coaches as scouts. So, like, when the season ends, they go right into looking at these draft prospects. They go right into evaluating these college uh, players, and they have to have opinions. They have to be ready. They've got to talk throughout the, the off season until the draft day comes. They get the guys they want because of it, because they're such a big part in drafting and I think that's also key to a guy that is going to be a a head coach or or running the show or running a program and so I I do think there's a lot of positives here number one from the quarterback perspective but also overseeing the offense and then how does it affect you in the draft and players you are acquiring.
2: Well, one of the guys that we were talking about in a true position of need here is wide receiver, and so we know that T. Higgins was one of his receivers and is expected to be a free agent uh, when the offseason hits. Do you think that he could possibly come over here if Callahan is the hire? Do they have that type of relationship?
3: See, I don't expect T. to even see free agency. I expect the Bengals to uh, tag him. Uh, That's just how they do it. It's very similar to the Jesse Bates situation a year ago where – hey, we're going to get a deal done, but we still believe we're in a Super Bowl window, and we believe T helps us get through that window, and they're going to tag him. And hey, if a team is interested, and I've heard the Panthers have been interested before in T uh, and have had tried to have talked, but the Bengals are very hard to deal with in terms of trades because they're going to overvalue their own guy. They're going to say, no, we want a first-round pick. No matter what, and the, you know, Panthers might say, Hey, we've got 33. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that close? We'll have to see how that plays out. But well, yeah, I could see a connection being there, and maybe it's a, it'd be a little bit more of an open situation having your former coach move on and, and go to and be on the other side of that phone call when they do call and say, Hey, we want something or we want to talk about T. Higgins. Bengals may be more receptive to that.
0: Joe Goodberry joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, banglesonthebrain.com. Go check him out on YouTube and follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, we got a lot of people texting in, too. Their interest in Brian Callahan uh, also involves the ability to navigate and operate with a poor offensive line. That's been the thing about Cincinnati. Joe Burrow's been amazing, great wide receivers, offensive line been a little porous. Uh, is how have you seen what Callahan and Zach Taylor have been able to do despite the lack of protection up front?
3: Yeah, that's been their greatest challenge, no doubt. If they had even an average offensive line, they probably win a Super Bowl at some point over the last you know two years when Burrow was healthy. So it, it is something we reflect on and talk about very often. I think part of how the offense has changed under Callahan and, and during the Joe Burrow era is is a big part of the offensive line from being one of the quickest passing teams in the league and getting the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands to using play action and misdirections and screens to try and uh, limit the pressure, limit some of the true pass sets so you're not putting so much pressure on your offensive line. If you remember that 2021 Super Bowl against the Rams, the Bengals only ended up having one starter return the next year on that offensive line. That was former first-round pick Jonah Williams, who's still a starter as of now until he hits free agency. Uh, but it was a bunch of guys that never ended up playing in the NFL again, and they made it that far, and they were an explosive downfield offense that year. Hitting deep shots to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, they did it in that Super Bowl. The following year, teams put a cap on it and said, we're not going to let you throw deep downfield anymore. We're going to be a cover two uh, shell against you guys and force you to do everything underneath, and it slowed the Bengals down for the first four weeks. They were really poor against the cover two. They They couldn't figure it out. Everyone's like, you know, Zach Taylor, Taylor, and they're not it. At the end of the season in 2022, the Bengals were the number one team against cover two defenses in terms of efficiency in EPA, and they got back to the AFC Championship game losing by three points. Again, with a bad offensive line, the final play in 2021 was Aaron Donald beating beating Quentin Spain at left guard. The final play of 2022 was Chris Jones beating, uh, I think it was Hakeem Adenergy at right guard and ending their season on the final play. And it's just, you know, you wonder if while they did get past it, while they did survive as much as possible with one of the worst offensive lines, we have our own, like, man, if they could have protected it a little bit more, if they could have done a little bit more, but at the same time, they, I, you give them credit because they've done a lot. And now I remember, Brian Callahan is the son of Bill Callahan, the right. offensive line running game coordinator for the for the Browns, who is the best offensive line coach in the league, hands down. And I wonder if there is some of that that bleeds over into Brian and why they got probably better play out of the O-line or able to have a functioning offense with such a bad line.
2: And so on that point about his father, how big of a presence do you think his dad would be if he were to come here with him at least early on in his tenure?
3: If he were to come with him, I think it would be huge. I mean, clearly he is the best O-line coach and would get the run game going instantly. It would be – I mean, we've said the same. If we had his dad here in Cincinnati – well, I feel like we'd have a ring as well. So, like, it's, it would be gigantic. Now, I have talked to Brian about this. I have asked questions before, and it was, hey, you know, do you want to work with your dad? Is that something you strive for? How come he never came to Cincinnati? And it was, you know, I want, kind of want to be my own man. I want to do my own thing. But sometimes you want the best of the best, and if the situation happened and they did, they did coach together, then so be it. So I don't know if it's something he it would automatically would say, hey, we're getting my dad to come with us where it's more of, you know, if it happens, if he's the best guy, then he would do it.
2: Joe, do you view Brian as that alpha type of coach that can, can run a team and, and has a strong hold on his team and everything that that happens? Or, or do you fancy him more as the coordinator that puts more of the responsibility on the players to kind of take care of themselves?
3: No, there are a lot of stories of him regrouping everyone the, the bengals all haven't had it easy they've had a lot of success but they've been four and four at the halfway point they've started seasons one and three and they've been able to turn it around there's been some inner turmoil and and wonder about you know are we are we messing this up are we not you know competing at the highest level are we not maximizing all the talent we have on this offense and it sounds like callahan does a great job of getting everyone back on the same page presenting new ideas And this is how we're going to change. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how it's going to work. And the guys seem to buy in because it works afterwards. And I think you know, once you prove that a few times, guys buy in, and that's it. They listen to what you're saying. They listen to the direction. They 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 follow along with it. So I think he's more of that type. He's the manager type. He's I don't you know I do not know if he's going to want to call plays as that coach or not, or if he's just going to delegate that stuff to somebody else. Uh, In is it going to be like all right? I'm the manager type where I can get everyone to buy in and feel good about what we're doing. Like, you know, a Dan Campbell type for the lions. Is that it? I don't think he's rah, rah, maybe a little bit behind the scenes. Like I've heard stories of, of games where they've, they're down a receiver. That's only Jamar chase or they're down Joe burrow. And it's like, they, they go to the offensive line and, and Joe mix. And it's like, guys, this game, we're going to run it down their throats. We're going to, Take their will. We're going to win this game because of you guys up front. Are you ready to do it? And the guys are like, they're like, let's do it. We're bought in, and they go and they do it, and they find a way to run the ball for the first time in ten weeks. They, you know, they averaged over five yards per carry, and they figure it out. That game against the Panthers, if you remember, a couple of years ago, yeah. Panthers were number one run defense, and that was a very similar game. They didn't have DeMar Kaiser. They're like, hey, we need to run this. We're going to run it against the number one defense, and they go mix and go for five touchdowns. And it was that was one of those games where they're like we can do it. Let's instill it in our minds. And I believe that came from Callahan that week from what I've heard. Uh, So, yeah, I think he's like that. I think that's what you're getting.
0: Wes, I'm on the Callahan caravan right now. Everything's sounding pretty good, isn't it? We got a lot of people on the text line saying, all right, I'm sold. I'm convinced Joe Goodberry on the body works plus guest hotline, convincing a lot of Panthers fans that Callahan just might be the right guy for the job. If you want more bangles content, go to Joe Goodberry on Twitter at Joe Goodberry bangles I've long considered, I think a lot of people consider him the guy to go to for bangles content. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. That was great. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me boys.
0: I find he did a good job, again. man. I'm telling you. Now I my
2: hand might want to cut him a little check if he signs that deal. Huh?
0: He's moving up the attractiveness rankings. Yeah. I'm just, I, I know, Fitty. I'm telling you the way that Joe Goodberry was able mm. to sell him. Uh, maybe we take a quick break. We gather our thoughts. We cool down a little bit. We see what is happening on the text line. And then we recap what we just heard from Joe. We can also talk a little bit more about what head coaches would make the fans most happy. Maybe it's Callahan now, but who are some of the other mentions out there that could make the fans most happy? It's coming up next on Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
2: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
0: So maybe stop
2: questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on a McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say
0: Wes and Walker back at it, Sports Radio, 92.7 <laughs> WFNZ. What's great is that I teased going into this segment what coach would bring you the juice, and then we didn't bring the juice. We had zero juice to speak of to get you hyped for this segment because we were talking about some other stuff during the break, and so we didn't have any music for you.
2: Yeah, man, it happens, you know, but we're here now, and hopefully we can
0: bring the juice. All right, you can text us, 704-570-9610. Did you like the way that Joe Goodberry was talking about Brian Callahan as a potential coach? We had Brian text in on the text line. Y'all over here convinced me that Callahan would be a good choice. KC Steve said the same thing. After hearing this, I'm more sold on Callahan. Why don't you talk to what Joe Goodberry was uh, speaking about there, Wes? I think he answered a lot of specific questions.
2: Yeah, I think he painted a great picture for him. He showed him as the type of guy that could come in and lead this organization. He talked about if he's able to bring his dad in, what what that would bring to the table, the role that he had uh, on the offense. You like all of that, him being a part of the plan of an offense that's been uh, fairly successful over the last few years. And so you put all that together, and with the work that he did with Jake Browning and Joe Burrow both, uh, you would just like to think that if he can get some of the things that he got out of, uh, Browning that he can get a lot out of Bryce Young and so not only that with the quarterbacks that he's worked with in the past he's got a nice background and even though he's not necessarily the play caller he's still around, he's still absorbing he's still chiming in on game days for what he wants uh, to see from the offense and it's been successful so I think that there was a lot to like
0: there. I think there was a lot to break down. One he Joe actually answered the question before I was going to follow up with it He's not sure Brian would call plays if he was the head coach, which is interesting. Wes, I think he might be the only guy that wouldn't call plays from an offensive mind. Frank Smith, I think would call plays. That's what we would expect, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't for Miami, that would be the only other one. I see Dave from Charlotte writing in about him. We'll break him down more tomorrow. Travis Wingfield of MiamiDolphins.com set to speak about him later on. So we're going through all the candidates that we possibly can. And, Here's Brian Callahan more so overseeing the offense and being a CEO, but what's like more so on just one specific side of the ball, which is a little interesting to me. And then you, you had Joe say that the Bengals operate a little differently where it feels like there's one guy in charge of a, a bunch of different facets of the offense. Mm-hmm. And then they all come together. And then Zach Taylor is the play caller. But everybody you got somebody taking care of red zone. You got Callahan overseeing everything and then bringing it to Taylor. And then Taylor calls the plays. And of course, he's a part of it, too. I kind of like that idea of everybody working together. It's almost like you got your part of the project. This person has their part of the project. And then. You know, you bring the game plan up, what, on a Wednesday, Thursday, you start practicing it, and then what I really like is the fact that they're adapting so much. Lots of adaptability from what we just heard from Joe. And you can see it, Wes. This has been the M.O. for the Bengals the last couple of years. Start slow. And then figure it out on the fly, no matter what happens. Offensive line injuries, doesn't matter, we'll figure it out. Quarterback injury, doesn't matter, we'll figure it out. You're talking about Lou Anarumo on the defensive side deserves a lot of credit. I think he's a really bright mind too. But offensively, it's the only team that has given Kansas City consistent trouble, right? Like you have to be Tom Brady if you're the only other QB that gives Kansas City trouble. The other QB, the other team, the other minds... It's Cincinnati. So, yeah, I am I was open-minded to Brian Callahan at first, and I think as we do more research, I'm just flat-out excited if he's the head coach. It doesn't mean I want him more than another candidate, but I'm just flat-out excited if he's the guy. And that point.
2: adaptability you talked about, yep. that that's a great trait uh, because mm-hmm. you look at New England and all the success they had over the years and the different ways that they got it done, and that's the thing you have to be able to do in this league is win in a multitude of ways because we know that every week, Somebody's going to try to take away what you're really, really good at. And so, if you got injuries or different things like that, and you got a guy that can handle this business and be able to adapt and still get you a good game plan and have results. I think that's a tremendous plus for him as
0: well. Steven writes in on the text line, is Callahan the type of guy that can tell his owner no? that's the main characteristic you're going to need to succeed in Carolina. I'll continue to say this. I think that's the most overrated characteristic that people want in the coaching candidate. Frank Reich reportedly told David Tepper no on some of the things that were coming his way. The guy's on up out of here as fast as we've seen, unless you're talking about a handful of other coaches that have been fired. It doesn't matter. Here's what matters, winning. If he wins, then he'll stay here. And it feels like the type of guy that is loved by his players, and it feels like the type of guy that works really well with his coaching staff. Wes, if he's already working with a bunch of different minds, then it's not going to be any different than if he comes over here and works with – like, that's exactly what went wrong with Frank Reich. It's working – look, it's the same minds at least on the same page, if you will, in Cincy – but working with other coaches seems like a strength for Brian, and that was the exact opposite. Granted, not Frank Reich's guys, but it seemed like the exact opposite. It was a flat-out weakness given the coaching staff constructed here. And so that's what I want. All of that sounded really attractive to continue the theme. Underrated juice he brings. But still, I would not say that he is the guy that brings the most excitement. I think that's Ben Johnson, Wes. I think if he were to come to Carolina, a lot of people are skeptical on that. If he were to come to Carolina, I think that's the option most people would be excited about. Do you agree or do you think somebody else would bring more juice?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, because obviously you weren't able to... Uh, interview Harbaugh or Belichick or anything like that. So, yeah, I would say he's probably number three on the list because he's getting the most national juice, uh, so to speak. Uh, He's the number one candidate on a lot of teams' boards, including the Panthers, and we've been hearing about Ben Johnson since last season. So I think also he's built up enough cachet, plus... You throw in the fact that the Lions have made the run that they've made to the NFC Championship game. And so all that just continues to build his buzz, especially with his offense being the catalyst uh, for their run right now. So, yeah, I would say – that he's the guy that will bring it the most. Him and him and Bobby Slowick to me, they're kind of neck and neck because Slowick, we know C.J. Stroud has, you know, shined the light on him the brightest as far as the candidates are concerned. But I think Ben Johnson, just for the fact that we've been hearing about him for two years now, and he was identified early in the process as the top guy on the board for the Panthers. And so I think that's what would make him have the most cachet because if you get him, it's like a small victory. You're like, oh, they were able to go out and get exactly who it is that they wanted to be the head coach.
0: I've got a little hope. Does it feel like it's hard to identify a favorite for this job?
2: Uh, yeah, because right now you don't have a clue as to what is going to happen because there's a lot of uncertainty around where Ben Johnson is going to go. You don't know what he's going to do at this point because he's got a lot of options. And then you look at the rest of these candidates. Well, some of them are available. If the Panthers wanted to go ahead and make a decision today, they've got guys, whether they want to go and hire uh, a Frank Smith or Brian Callahan or some of those guys. Now Bobby Sloick's available. So that'll be interesting to see if there's any movement there this week. But uh, for the most part, this is a, a hard job to figure out. But I think that, because I'm trying to think back to when the the last coaching search, did we get a feel or how soon did we get a feel for Frank Reich being the guy?
0: I think we started to because how, how many real names were there? At Kellen Moore, remember, it was still somewhat of a surprise yeah. when it was reported after the fact that he got a second interview and the fact that he might have even been the second choice over Steve Wilkes. Mm-hmm. The writing was on the wall that it wasn't going to be Steve as we got further along in the process. And then who else was there? It was Ben Johnson who said, nope, I'm good. I'm going okay. back to Detroit. So
2: Ryan said no.
0: I, we started to get Frank Reich in the crosshairs more so than anybody here. It's a lot harder to figure out. Like I, I know we're kind of going with the joke about how Callahan looks pretty valuable at this point compared to what we were talking about him, not even mentioning his name a week ago. But it makes sense that he might be the favorite if Ben Johnson, he's going somewhere. He's going to be a head coach. It's all about where he's going to be a head coach. If you don't think he comes to Carolina, you think Dave Canales is hot enough to go to a different team too, because that was impressive what he did. And Baker Mayfield deserves a lot of credit. Both of those guys do. So if he goes somewhere else and then you start to go rolling down the list, I think that might be the idea as to why Frank Smith is the odds on favorite to some outlets and Callahan is third. So it it is hard though. Like I, we do not have a single guy taking that favorite title right now, and it seems like it could be any one of what three or four. It's is there one out.
2: guy that you have a strong hunch about that you feel like could be the guy, or are you just feel like it's a mixed bag right now too?
0: I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, I, I think i I don't think Ben Johnson will be the coach. I'm more so thinking it's going to be Canales or Callahan. The feeling I get. I don't know about Slowick. I I wonder if Tepper is a little worried about Slowick being too young. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying I would not bring him in. Yes. Like, that's objectively, though, a decent enough reason to be a little hesitant to bring him on as the head coach. And so maybe you want to go to the guy that has his hand in so many different pots up there in Cincinnati trying to figure out the right thing to cook up with a lot of different guys. Then you go to Frank Smith, not calling the play. So he's looking to become that next person. Maybe those names would make a little more sense. A final thing for me here, Wes, before we move. Well, all right, hold, put a hold in that, okay? okay. We got less Johns. I don't want to keep my guy waiting. I don't want to keep you waiting more to talk more about Wake Forest, North <laughs> Carolina. So we can get to some more candidate talk a little bit later on in the show. Greg Allman of The Athletic, formerly of The Athletic, now Fox Sports. He's covered the Buccaneers since 2013. So he'll have plenty to say about Dave Canales as a potential head coach here in Carolina. But Les Johns, he covers the Demon Deacons, and he'll be on site tonight for Wake Forest game against North Carolina. We'll preview that game coming up here soon. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.